0: Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, and Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent. Joining us down the line is Filippo Aluati, who's a credit analyst at Hermes. This week, we'll be looking at the acquisition by Santander of local rival Popular. Secondly, a look at the broader Eurozone banks field, as the Santander Popular deal trials the new bail-in rules. And finally, latest developments in the foreign exchange scandal. First, though, to that Spanish consolidation story. Martin, we had a, a kind of regulatory blessed deal in Spain with Santander buying the troubled Popular. Interesting, obviously, as we'll come on to talk about from the... Uh, point of view of you know, the regulatory involvement in this, bailing in creditors and so on. Uh, but first of all, let's talk about what it means from the Santander point of view. This is, a, this is the first big deal that Chairman Anna Botín has done in her three years uh, as head of the bank.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an important uh, deal from Santander's point of view. The opportunity arose as Banco Popular entered what looked like a death spiral it's this bank it's the sixth biggest in spain it has a pretty strong uh, s- small and medium sized business lending uh, operation and it had come through the crisis popular pretty well and 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 historically had a reputation for being a very conservative bank um uh, but lost its way in the real estate bubble in spain came in late Uh, Aggressively lent a lot of money to property developers in Spain, and that has—it's never really recovered from that. It also did a a pretty poor acquisition in the Galicia region uh, of northern Spain, and so it's—it's been trying to raise capital. It's raised more than five billion since the the crisis of of share issues. It raised two and a half billion last year. Uh, changed management, a new chairman came in this year, but it, it never really managed to to solve this this problem of this bad debts weighing down its balance sheet. So ultimately, regulators stepped in. The opportunity was there for Santander, which has been eyeing Popular for quite quite some years, as an opportunity to to achieve its long term ambition of bulking up in, in in SME lending, small business lending. In its, in its domestic market, Spain, where Santander is one of the biggest banks in the eurozone, actually is quite underweight relatively in Spain. So this was a real opportunity and it propels them to a clear number one market position. Some 20% of the overall market in Spain for uh, current accounts and, and lending and uh, 25% for SME lending. So a real, a real coup for Anna Boutin. Now, she's going to have to raise €7 billion euros through a rights issue at Santander to fund the deal. I mean, you only only pay €1 euro for Banco Popular, but you've then got to raise €7 billion to cover the
0: extra provisions that you take on the bad loans book to clean that up. And so uh, putting it in the broader context of Santander's deal-making machine, which has been there for years, Anna Bottine's father, Emilio, had done a string of acquisitions over his decades in charge of the bank. This is her first deal. Is it significant that it's a domestic Spanish deal rather than an international deal, as her father might have done? Um, I mean, just to clarify, it's not her first deal.
2: It's in the last uh, two and a half, three years that um, Anna has been in charge, it's done some some smaller deals, but this is this is the biggest one by far so far. And and focusing on the domestic market, Emilio Bottin, when, you know, from uh, taking charge of Santander, was a pretty small bank when he took charge. He's built it up initially by doing uh, a string of big Spanish mergers. Then the last decade of his time in charge, he switched his focus very much to uh, further flung markets like Latin America, like the u s he did deals in uh, the Nordics regions elsewhere in europe, so and obviously the u k coming in and buying Abbey National and uh, adding a couple of other building societies that failed in the crisis, so his focus in 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 the final decade or so was definitely further afield, whereas this is really coming back in, but it 's also I think interesting that Emilio Boutine had a real reputation for being an arch dealmaker and always looking for a bargain, looking for a deal where he had an angle, where Santander had a particular angle, where they could um, uh, you know, be, um, be quite clever in the way that they, they operated. Often coming in when he was the only bidder, um, squeezing on the price, has a real reputation for that. And I think the way that uh, Anna is, um, is is showing that she's also inherited a lot of that skill Uh, because, as it turns out, in this process, this this less than 24 hours that that bidders were given to to make their final offers for this bank by the regulators who'd taken control of it, uh, Santander was the only one that made made an offer and, as I say, bought it for one euro. And a lot of the shareholders and particularly the creditors who were the junior creditors who were wiped out part of this deal are complaining, uh, you know, saying that Santander got it for a steal.
0: Well, we'll come on to talk about those creditors and the broader issue in our second topic, which is, you know, what does this deal say about the new bail-in rules in Europe? I'm joined now by Filippo Aloati, who's a senior credit analyst at Hermes, to talk about this. So, Filippo, thanks very much for joining us. In your view, the, the, this deal, this Santander Popular deal, what does it uh, do in terms of setting precedents for Eurozone bank? regulation and the, and the way forward in terms of uh, resolving troubled banks.
3: Hi. Yeah. Good afternoon. Yeah, the um, Santander Popular deal, in in our opinion, so it makes a create a precedent, and it could be viewed as a sort of blueprint in order to resolve um, a bank in a distressed situation. And so let's just uh, be impo-
0: sorry. Let's just be clear exactly what has happened here. Who was wiped out and who was not, and in what sense is that different from what went before?
3: Yeah, exactly. So basically, um, Banco Popular Español was in a difficult spot uh, because they were already very close on the um, uh, CT1 trigger as set by the European Central Bank. The the,
0: the core the, capital ratio requirement. The core
3: capital ratio, exactly, yeah. And uh, they also, to all um, mean and purpose, lost market access in the sense that they had to increase uh, the provision on the bad loans because. Probably, as many cases in typical cases, so the value of the asset was overvalued, um, and so they had to increase the, the provision on these bad loans. And at the same time, they were making uh, basically on a daily basis a negative headline with some sort of uh, deposit withdrawal by the um, retail um, clientele. And of course, that's all, as we know in banking, um, what starts as a liquidity crisis end up in a insolvency situation, which seems to be the case as document by the financial times in the in the days following the resolution on banco popular Español.
0: so as you say the bondholders therefore bore the brunt of this obviously the equity has been wiped out the junior bonds as well and also the the these special cocoa bonds additional tier 1 bonds uh and tier 2 bonds were, were wiped out
3: Yeah, exactly. So, what is what is happened basically? All the subordinate bondholders, which in the case of Banco Popular amounted to euro two billion, were wiped wiped out converted to equity but then instantaneously sold uh, for a total consideration on euro on one euro to Banco Santander what is different uh, from the popular case versus the previous um, um, experience like for example in Ireland with uh, AB and uh, anglo Irish, was there was uh, in Ireland and also Bank of Ireland uh, at the um, onset of the um, global financial crisis a differentiation within the different uh, subordinate bondholders in the case of um, Bank of Ireland I remember the lower tier two were offered at least 10 cents in the euro, whereas the tier 1, I don't recall, it was just 2 or 3 cents, so there was a different, differentiation in the, within the subordinate bondholder. In the case, both the tier 2, which has the intermediate subordinate, and the 81, which I say that the so-called Coke or uh, the bond which was absorbed losses uh, almost at the same time as equity, were both wiped out, so zeroed and then um, converted into popular um, shares uh, in instantaneously move on and transfer to Banco Santander for one euro
0: and as we were saying this applies the rules as they should be applied in Europe and therefore sets the precedent for other situations and there are live situations in Italy of course.
3: Exactly, and that's very important because uh, resolution, uh, both resolution theory and practice, uh, to paraphrase um, Milton Friedman, is a bit like a Japanese garden. There is an apparent simplicity which conceals a sophisticated reality. And the sophisticated reality, for example, in the case of Italy, is it that uh, the Veneto Banca and Vicenza Banca, which are making headlines, are a, in different situation as Banco Popolare SM because Banco Popolare had a problem with liquidity so a solution needs to be um, found uh, very readily. In the case of uh, Popola of uh, Vicenza and Veneto they actually have access to liquidity through the so-called um, senior and secure bonds guaranteed by the Italian Republic. And those bonds in theory are pari passu with the senior and secure of Vicenza and Veneto which has been sold to the wholesale market and also a pari passu with the depositor of those banks. So this is the complexity. It's difficult to say, okay, we had the in in Spain now we should transfer this uh, transpose this example in Italy because the technicalities are slightly slightly different
0: and Martin you have a uh, an update on the latest on the Italian bank situation this morning
3: yeah the
2: finance minister uh, mr Paduan, has made an announcement saying that they are
0: close to
2: agreeing a deal to rescue these uh, two banks in the Veneto region of Italy. And yeah, it's not going to be the same as the deal for Popular. Um, because in this case, the government is expected to put money into these banks to rescue them. And it's just a question of whether they can also get some, some money alongside that from the private sector,
0: uh, which they need to get approval for the overall deal from, from Europe. Very good. Well, we will watch that situation develop. In the meantime, Filippo Aloati from uh, Hermes, thank you very much for joining us. Let's move on now to our third item for the day and a look at the latest developments in the foreign exchange trading scandal – Caroline, a couple of interesting moves here over the past few days.
1: Yeah, there have been two developments in the DOJ's criminal investigation into alleged forex rigging. And they're two separate strands, really. So last week we heard that Stuart Scott, who was HSBC's former London-based head of currency trading, uh, had been arrested In the UK, he lives just outside London, but at the behest of the US authorities. And Mr. Scott will, in fact, be contesting his extradition to the United States. Um, Separately to that, um, we've heard that the three traders at the heart of the chat rooms that were dubbed the cartel have come to an arrangement with the Department of Justice whereby they won't fight extradition so they'll be surrendering to the US authorities to face trial and in exchange they have agreed a security with the DOJ and the ability to come back to the UK pending trial. It should be said that in both cases uh, all the defendants deny wrongdoing.
0: Okay, and remind us of the context of this because this is an affair that dates back many years now, but the DOJ investigations are ongoing. How many people have we seen? brought to trial for this in this whole affair and has anyone gone to prison?
1: Well uh, a former trader at Barclays Jason Katz uh, has pleaded guilty in in again another separate strand uh, to the Forex investigation. I should explain that DOJ antitrust and fraud teams have both mounted separate investigations. They're related but they're essentially looking at Different allegations of rigging. So the fraud team were the ones that went after Mr. Scott and his boss, Mark Johnson, who was the one that was arrested at JFK last summer. And it's antitrust that have gone after the so-called cartel. That might be a technical point, but actually it might have a wider bearing when we're thinking about extradition battles, because uh, a UK judge, who in the case of Mr. Scott will have to weigh whether to extradite him or not, will have to look at various considerations to come to that determination and one of them is whether the alleged wrongdoing could be construed as a criminal offence in both countries, both the home nation and then the requesting nation.
0: So there's a long way to run with all of these cases and simplistically we're at an earlier stage than for example the rigging that went on in the interest rate benchmark, the LIBOR and related scandals where we have seen Quite a lot of individuals.
1: LIBOR, the LIBOR investigation predated that of Forex by a good three or four years. So yeah, that's in that sense, we're a little behind the curve on LIBOR when we're talking about Forex. And if we're looking at a potential trial of the so-called cartel, this will be the real first contested jury trial that we will see. Um, typically, DOJ cases, you often see a defendant. Plead guilty rather than want to run the risk of a contested trial, the uncertainty, and what is traditionally a much longer sin- sentence for white collar crime in the US than it is for, in the UK.
0: We've got all of that to look forward to. Thank you, Caroline. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to also thank Martin and our guest, Filippo Aloati at Hermes. Uh, remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com/slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Jyotsna Singh. Until next week, goodbye.